Well, good morning, everyone. Um, it's a real privilege to be able to be here today and to candidate, but by far the biggest privilege is being able to come and share from God's Word with you all today. So I want to start with the story. Two men are walking along a road. They've been walking for a long time, and they've had plenty of time to converse. Between them, they carry valuable cargo. As they enter the Lycos Valley, memories begin to flood through one of these men's minds. He's home, and he knows this valley well. Over there is the city of Hierapolis, which is famous as a Phrygian cult center, ironically titled the Holy City. Over there, you find Laodicea, an incredibly wealthy city, famous for just how much money its citizens have, and in later years, for the growing church that's happening in that, in that place. But they don't go to either cities. The two travellers instead have eyes for the last city in the valley, Colossae. Now, as the travellers finally enter the streets of Colossae, it's obvious to them and to everyone else with two sets of eyes that Colossae isn't what it used to be. Colossae used to be world-renowned. The general Xerxes stopped there once, and it had a world-renowned wool industry. However, as is often the case, some bright bureaucrat decided to move the main highway away from Colossae. And when that happened, well, the people began to stop moving, stopped visiting, stopped buying. The shops began to close, and the young people began to move away. Colossae was a shadow of what it used to be, and it was the least important city that the Apostle Paul ever had a letter for. As they walked closer to their destination, it's not unrealistic to think that one of these men, Onesimus, a runaway slave, well, his heart began to beat a little faster, because his destination was very likely Philemon's house. Now, Philemon was a slave owner who'd become a Christian. But Philemon was also the one who had enslaved Onesimus in times past. Onesimus knew that roof. He knew that fence. And this was going to be some reunion. In his bag, between him and Tychicus, they had, according to scholars, at least two letters... One of them was a letter for Philemon, the slave owner. It was a letter that, as one commentator said, contained a virus in the machine. This letter had sentences, concepts, phrases that, given time, would eventually completely undermine the empire-wide institute of slavery. It would make slavery untenable for all Christians. The other letter was a letter to the church that met in Colossae, this little church where God 
had some powerful words to say. I could imagine, as word got out, that all the Christians would begin to gather. Where are we going to meet? Where are we going to hear a letter from the world-famous Paul? All the way out here, to our little church. When the time came, they gathered together. The scroll was unrolled. And they began to hear from God himself, through the mouth of Paul. Now, hear me on this. That same timeless God has a timeless message for us here today. Because truth is not locked into a particular time and place. It's not bound. God also has a word for us here today at Eastgate, for you as well, if you have ears to hear. If you listen, you will hear. So let's dive in. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God to Timothy and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Did you hear the ripple of excitement in the room when that was first read out? I can imagine it. The apostle Paul writing to us, The Colossian church is sitting there, hearing it. And they're hearing that Timothy and Paul want grace and peace for this group. They want them to experience it. The reader continues. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Not a rebuke. That's a good start to a letter. Instead, this says, the Colossians were people that Paul thanks God for. They were known, they were characterized by their faith and love. Little old Colossae, known for their faith and love. Now, when you look up here at these words, can you notice or see what fuels their faith in Jesus Christ and their love for all the saints? It's the hope laid up in heaven. What is this fuel, this hope that's laid up in heaven? I believe it's eternal life. They know they have eternal life and the hope of eternal life is not the only fuel for Christian living, that transcends time and space, but it is a fuel, a rocket fuel, if you give it time and if you consider it well. The hope of eternal life fueled the Colossians' love for one another and it will fuel you as you increasingly trust that your future destination is heaven. When you begin to believe that your future destination isn't worm food, when you believe that your first future destination is actually eternal life in heaven, that changes the way you walk the path today. It can't help but change. Consider the effect of eternal life on your capacity to love. For example, as I look around this room, I see many people who I know are Christians. And therefore, that means that you're part of my eternal forever family. 
and I'm part of yours. That changes things. As I look over at Diego, I realise he's part of my forever family. I look at my new friend, Barry, who I only met a few weeks ago. He's part of my forever family. Stuart, Jess, Sam, (laughs) part of my forever family, part of your forever family. And when you think like that, when you look at them with all their, no offence, eccentricities, with all their interesting little personal quirks, even in their sin and their grace, you begin to look at them differently. Your heart begins to beat faster And you see Jesus' heart for them, the same heart he has for you. And you want to love and invest in your family more and more. And I know that one day, my eyes are going to meet many eyes in this room. Your eyes are going to meet many other Christians that you've met in your many travels. And when your eyes meet, you will both be glorious. And you will be in heaven with them on that day and that changes the way you deal with them in the here and now that future vision can't help but change the way you deal with them in the here and now this future grace accelerates faith and love now consider the flip side if you are vague on your belief in eternal life if you are or perhaps you're one of those people and you're welcome here but if you're one of those people who Right now, you're convinced that this life is the only life that you have. It's difficult to maintain motivation towards selfless love. After all, if I've only got one life, why waste it on others unless you make me feel good? If you've only got one life, why struggle through the difficulties and the challenge we've all experienced before, of helping people in hard situations, knowing that you're probably not going to get much payoff, that they may actually go backwards before they go forwards. Why bother with any of that, with any hard case you can name, if you know this life is all there is, and that every second that ticks on your mobile or on your phone is one step closer to your end, your permanent full-stop end? Why bother unless it's making you feel better? Now, this belief in eternal life not only corrodes humanity's motivation for caring for others in the hard times, but it will also tie a leash around you. Granted, it might be a long leash that's tied around you, but a leash nevertheless. The leash that you have around you is one that is tied to the many possessions and relational um, Connections that you've accumulated in your lifetime. You've got a stockpile of possessions. You've got a stockpile of relational connections. The older you get, the more cautious you're going to get. The bigger that pile, the more careful you're going to be, the less risk-taking you want to be. Because once you lose that, it's gone forever. So you're actually tied up by a leash to living a more cautious, dare I say, more cowardly life. But, instead, if you believe that there is a better life ahead, 
If you believe that your possessions and your relationships are only going to get better in the life you head, head, that snaps the chain. That snaps the leash. You can stand up and you can move forward. You can take risks knowing that it only gets better. Knowing that it will only get better for you. You feel the freedom to do risky, faithful acts of love because you know you're dealing with an eternal being as an eternal being. It just hits different. You just operate on a different level. It's the level that God wants for you. Look at Paul, exhibit A. His ministry springboards from Titus chapter 1 in verse 2. You'll read him say, he does what he does in the hope of eternal life. Paul's writing this fuel as well. When you see him in Acts chapter 23, verse 6, you'll read about him that time where he stands in front of a hostile crowd who want his blood, and he declares, I'm on trial today for the hope of eternal life and the resurrection of the dead. And Paul knows he can't lose at that moment. If people say, well, if they listen to him, then he wins. And if they don't listen to him and they kill him and he goes to heaven, he wins. You're unstoppable when you start thinking like this. When you start having this holy mindset that God has had for all his people in all generations, in all times. You can't be stopped and you're more willing to risk everything because you know what God's got for you ahead. You can be a world changer under God's sovereign plan if he so chooses, if you've got this mentality that God has for you. Pushing forward, we see Christians who not only hear sermons like this, who not only read words like this, but they actually do it. We see brothers and sisters throughout history who are far more willing to defy satanic tyranny. We see Christians give up their comfortable lifestyles and travel many, many kilometres to serve other Christians who are struggling. Because they know, in the words of Jesus, they'll receive a hundredfold more in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. Some of us, some of us, might even pack up our successful practice as local doctors and move to Turkey. That's what God's Word and Spirit does. Knowing your future is eternal helps you open your hands to people with outstretched hands. Now, but what about you today? I don't think any of us here need to go to Turkey, although I'm sure Kerry and Alon wouldn't mind. But I do think that you are where you are for a reason. And I do think that if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And if the Holy Spirit lives within you, and you know your context best then there's a recipe for some powerful moves in that space, for some powerful love in that space that you know best. So I want you this week, and here's my challenge, to pick two Christians who you know, who you will make their lives better because you're in it this week. Two Christians whose lives will be better because you're in it this week. I want you to encourage you to think about who you can bless, who you can love. Let's take it out of the stratosphere. Let's make it in the here and now. Is there a Christian, for example, 
who you know is struggling? Can you give them a text? Organise a coffee catch-up together? Is there a Christian, a single mum, who's got some challenges? Can you back her some way? Is there a bloke who's lonely? There's a lot of them in our world. Can you connect? Can you help on a project together? Grab them a coffee. What can you do in your context to apply this truth? I'm going to leave that ball in your court. And I want to strongly encourage you to act on what God's saying. Don't just listen about me up here today talking about love. Do love this week. Find two Christians, bless them. And in a room this big with maybe 40 or 50 people, it could be about 100, at least 100 blessings happening this week. If you take my challenge, which is based on God's Word, seriously, this week. That's my challenge. Moving forward, I can't move on from this uh, particular point about eternity-fueled love without an important caveat. I know, based on some of my experience in different fields, is that in a room this big, some of you will genuinely struggle with that challenge that I just laid out, but it's not just that. You've struggled with loving people for a long time, and perhaps, as God is your witness, one of your biggest wins for today was getting out of bed and not crying. One of your biggest wins was putting your shoes on and coming to church. Because you're not lazy. You're certainly not lazy. Anyone who's known you for a good amount of time knows you're not lazy. But there was a time in your life when you were very loving. But you've been broken by others. And even the idea of risking it for the sake of others is almost too much to contemplate. If that's you, I want you to hear today that you are not alone. You are not alone. Certainly not in this world and certainly not in the Colossian church. There would have been people sitting, listening to this particular passage. And they're not just in that church, they're in every church in history who would have struggled with the idea of loving others because of the things that others have done to them. The ancient world and the modern world both share this common agony. But the hope of heaven, and hear me on this, friends, the hope of heaven is that if you feel broken, there is coming a day when you will be remade. It's God's promise to you. Your brokenness and the brokenness that exists in various degrees in every single one of us here will be put together in a heavenly wholeness one day. If you feel broken here today, you need to know that your story is not finished yet. There is more to go. And the ending is beautiful. And it's got far more beauty and power that you can even imagine, that you can even think of. And I want you to let that truth today speak softly to your heart. I want you to let it rewrite the demonic script that you may be unconsciously having, having been operating through over the last couple of years. 
And I want you, as a wounded healer, to ask God for the grace to move forward and to, with God's power, heal people in a way that only a Holy Spirit-empowered wounded healer can. That's my challenge to you. Because God's not finished with you yet. And in fact, there's a reason, friend, why God has got you down here and not up there. Because He's still got a plan for you. He still loves you. His eye is still on you. And He's got work for you to do here on earth in 2024. That's why you're still here. That's why we're all still here after we're saved. All of us can be free to love others and sacrifice our time, money and relational energy as a loving reflection of that heartbeat of heaven. To anyone that we interact with this week, you can, by God's power, offer an imperfect foretaste of the loving selflessness of heaven. Now, at this point, this is the part where you've got to be most careful. you really got to stop. Because I'm sharing with you some beautiful truths. God's Word's unbreakable. It's true. It's without error. It'll transform your life. But you've got to stop. Because there's a trap here that even mature Christians can fall into. You can find yourself being exclusively or primarily even motivated by the hope of heaven, divorced from the gospel. You can, and it happens, I've seen it, you can divorce the hope of heaven from the gospel. This is dangerous, and this is destructive, and it's very possible to do. Read this next section, it's in uh, verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven... Of this, the hope laid up for you in heaven, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Stop right there. It's the gospel. The hope of heaven is actually part of the gospel. It's part of it. And the ever-present danger is that you're going to use the hope of heaven to push you forward rather than who Jesus is and what he's done. Heaven is an undeniable motivator in Paul's life and in the text that we're reading today, but the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he thinks of you today must, underline this, must be your primary motivator. Why? Well, think about it. There's something about who Jesus is that radically transforms the way we see ourselves and good deeds. The fact that Jesus Christ comes to earth fully God and fully man. He reveals to us the heart of God and the wisdom of God in an unprecedented manner. His heart is the only thing that can truly realign your heart and my heart. When you see, like the Colossians did, that Jesus died in our place to pay for our sin and then rose again and ascended to the right hand of God. And today, March the 3rd, 2024, He is the one who is ruling and reigning over all the world's circumstances. When you get that, you can't help but be changed. And when you see, when you see his eyes of love on you, 
His Holy Spirit within you and His forgiveness upon you and His commitment to complete the transformative work that He started in you, that He's not going to give you up. That He's going to finish what He starts. You begin to burn with the supernatural energy. And His acceptance of you becomes the ground of everything that you do. A God-given motivation towards love and faith that isn't based on how good you are, but on how good He is. It isn't based on trying to get right with God. It isn't based on trying to earn heaven. You now love people and you now do good things because you're going to heaven. Because you're going to heaven. That, that must be our exclusive or at the very least, primary motivation for everything that we've done. That's what Colossians shows us. And this gospel-focused motivation, well, it's catching. It's catching all over the world, even back in the days of Colossians. Read verse 6, and six 7 and 8. This gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is indeed bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. The gospel inspired Epaphras to share the gospel in the Lycus Valley. He's probably the bloke who started the Laodicean church as well, history tells us. By God's grace... The fruit of the gospel was bearing fruit and increasing in Colossae. Notice the present tense, bearing fruit and increasing. The gospel is not a one-shot thing that you have once when you hear it and you decide to follow Jesus. The gospel is something that should be impacting you today, bearing fruit, present tense today. And this marvelous news of the gospel, it had transformed this sleepy town. It's transformed me when I was a child. And I know it's transformed many people in this room here as well. The gospel has now, in the year 2024, exploded across the world to the point now, get this particular statistic, to the point now where there are more Anglicans in Nigeria than there are in the UK. How's that for gospel push? 80% of evangelicals in 2024 live in Africa and South America. 80%. So if we had a representative sampling right now of all the evangelicals on the earth, you would have 10 people, 8 of them would be from South South America or Africa. The other 2 would be from other countries. That's the face of Christianity. That's the face of the gospel in this present generation. In fact, if the current rate of conversions of animists and Muslims in Africa continues, where they keep converting out of those lies into truth continues, by the year 2050, over 50% of the world's evangelicals will be African. 50% of the world's evangelicals will be African by 2050. And my friends, 2050 is closer than 1997. Get your head around that for a second. 
2050, that time is closer than 1997. If you're young, that won't scare you at all. If you're old, it'll freak you out. (laughs) Now, while we struggle here in the West, there has never been a more fruitful time in world mission in church history. Don't let the lies of your Facebook feed, don't let the lies of the mass apostasy that we see in our society today get you down. Don't let it get you down all the way. Because we have never had greater moves of the Holy Spirit in history than we are in 2024, in the last 50 or 60 years. While in the West, we are really struggling, in the world, God is not finished and He's never been this busy saving people. It's phenomenal. And our Western chapter and our chapter here in Australia, it ain't finished yet. It hasn't been written fully yet. The author's got a few more pages at the back of that book and we're going to be part of that to the extent that we're here. So, we're now going to recap everything that we've, I've said today up here. We've seen that the hope of eternal life is to fuel our love for each other. Our response to that hope is to love one another. And I, and I want to encourage you to find two Christians this week whose lives will be better because you're in it. All right? Secondly, we've looked at this hope, how it's always nestled within the context of the gospel. The hope of eternal life is always nestled within the context of the gospel. And that means that our exclusive or primary motivator for our good deeds, our love for others, must be the gospel. God's acceptance of us and our clean slate before Him. You're not trying to earn heaven. You're doing it because your place in heaven is already assured if you're trusting in Christ. Finally, we saw that the gospel is bearing fruit in Colossae, in Australia, and across the world. But what should our response be? Well, I think we should imitate the Apostle Paul's response to these revelations in the Colossian church. Check this out. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul's response to the truths we've covered today is this phenomenal, multifaceted prayer. Honestly, when I read this, it's almost like a stream of consciousness. It's like he's just tying things together that make his heart sing. And then he prays it. Look at this. He's thankful for the fact for who they are. He prays they may be filled with the knowledge of his will. He prays they may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that they may be pleasing to him, that they may bear fruit in every good work 
They may increase in their knowledge of God. They may be strengthened with all power, according to God's might. They may have endurance, patience, joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Paul's prayer hits a whole bunch of points. And when it comes to prayer, honestly, I can't think of a better prayer to pray than the prayers we find in inspired scripture. So, rather than just me talking about prayer here today with you, I want to give you an opportunity to pray. So, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that in response to today's truth, it could be great if we could all split up into pairs today. And what I want to encourage you to do is to split up into pairs, find someone else, and I want to encourage you to pray Paul's prayer over the person that you're with. Make the prayer on behalf of the other person. Now, let me give you an example of that. Let's just say I'm going, um, I pray with my beautiful wife Carly, I'm going to pray this. I'm going to use Paul's prayer as my template. I'm going to pray, starting here at verse, halfway through verse 9, I'm going to say, whenever I see the word you, I'm just going to stick Carly's name in there. So, I'm going to pray that Carly may be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you, God, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified Carly to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And then at the end, I might just thank God in saying, thank you God that you have delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us both to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, That's how I'm going to go it. You should just wing it and do the best you can in that space. I hope that's fairly self-explanatory. Split up into pairs. Pray Paul's phenomenal prayer over the other person. Where you see the word you, insert the person you're with's name. And use the prayer in a way that it's being addressed to God. Now, if you're not a Christian here today, obviously feel free not to pray. But if you are a Christian... Let's grab this opportunity to personally respond to today's truth and to lift up our fellow Christians to our big God. Um, Lastly, if you're on a row of three or some sort of odd number, please ensure that whoever that odd-numbered person is, that they find someone to pray with. All right? Let's do it.
We'll have about one minute left of prayer. Isn't it a great opportunity just to pray for someone in our church? Um, I love the fact that the really good moments of fellowship that we experience here, even today, are just a foretaste, an appetizer for what heaven's got for all of us. I love that fact. Um, We're going to wrap up now, um, as in I'm going to wrap up, and I'm going to invite Sam up for communion. Um, Now, if we haven't already met, please feel free to come up and say hi after the service. Um, I personally would love to meet you, uh, as would Carly, my wife. Um, If you have any questions about the sermon, or if you just want to catch up and have a yarn, um, that'd be great, because I'm keen to be able to meet as many of you as possible, um, and just to talk about the good things that God has been doing in all of our lives, and the shared faith that we have together. All right, Sam, I'll invite you up, and thanks again.